Welcome to Mature in Every Way, a study of James. I'm Renee Adelsberger. We're going to walk through this book verse by verse. For more from me, visit pedestriangod.com. Let's get started. What did you think about this passage from James 1, 26 through 27? Now that we are all going to be doers of the word and not just hearers, what are some of the things we are going to do? James starts with how we use our words, how we interact with the people around us, and how we guard our hearts. Let me read the passage for you. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We taught this passage to the youth students on a Wednesday night, and to this day, it's one of my favorite memories. I had a seventh grade girl in my group. We'll call her Roseanne. And when we broke into our small groups, we asked the question, how can we control our tongues? Most of the group sighed and shrugged. We were all in the same boat together. Controlling our tongues seemed like an impossible task. Most of us had tried repeatedly and still failed daily. Then Roseanne, her brows kind of crinkled at our confusion and she exclaimed, it's easy like this. And she stuck out her tongue and she curled it. See, it's under control. I started laughing. If only it were that easy. James means that we are supposed to control the words that we say. And I would like to emphasize an often overlooked aspect. We need to control the tone we use also. So here we are. James has told us that we need to consider it joy when we face trials, not let ourselves be deceived by our own sinful desires, remember that God is perfect, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, be slow to anger, be doers of the word, and as if that list weren't enough, now we need to control our speech also. It's interesting that James starts verse 26 with the word if. He knows that not everyone will consider themselves religious. I'm included in this statement because I consider myself to be a believer, but so often I am not controlling my tongue. We'll look more at the tongue and its power when James brings it up again in chapter 3. There's enough conviction on its way. So let's look at the rest of these verses in chapter 1 right now. James says that if we say we are religious but don't control our tongue, then our religion is useless and we have deceived ourselves. There he goes with that word deceive again. So far, he has said, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above in verse 16. And then in verse 22, he said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The words we say are a good test for where our hearts truly abide. When our words are full of love and grace, we are close to the Father. But when they are full of hatred and bitterness, we are far from Him. How would you feel if a transcript of every word you said yesterday was published in a magazine and distributed for everyone to read? Would you be embarrassed? I would be. So what does pure and undefiled religion look like? James specifically says in verse 27 that it is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
James just finished telling us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. So here he goes into two really practical ways to obey the world. He addresses how we interact with people around us as well as how we conduct our life. We'll take it in the order James wrote it. The first part is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. This comment is consistent with the other verses we have read about James thus far. In Galatians 2.10, Paul says, They, James, Cephas, and John, asked only that we would remember the poor. Taking care of the poor is a subject that James was deeply concerned with during his lifetime. In James' time, widows and orphans were totally alone with very little hope. In a male-driven society, women who were left as widows could not go get jobs like so many single moms do today. Orphans had very little hope for their futures as well. In our society today, most widows and orphans still have great hope for their futures. Our country is full of organizations that help match couples who want to be parents with children who need parents. Widows can receive assistance until they're able to provide for themselves. Many couples buy life insurance to help provide for their spouse that has been left behind. These people still need help, whether it's financial or emotional. I can speak with slightly more authority than I could have eight months ago. Kevin and I became foster parents and have a six-year-old girl living with us. Her parents are still living, but for this time that they are not able to care for her, we stepped up as foster parents. We stepped in and provided a safe place for her to live while allowing her parents time to get back on their feet without the distraction of having the child in their home. They're able to focus 100% on themselves and what they need to do. Caring for an orphan in this way is difficult. Actually, on the night that I'm writing this, difficult is not a strong enough word to describe how I feel about this whole process. Caring for her frequently takes every ounce of emotional stamina that I can muster. And by the time bedtime comes around, I'm exhausted. Unlike other parents who put a lot of time and energy into their children, I can't cling to the hope that one day I'll get to reap the benefits of all of this hard work that I've sown. When God calls you to radically live out James 1.27, your world is turned upside down. But God is there. God is here, right now in my trial of today. And if I were to close my eyes and reflect on yesterday, I would see evidences of his presence. If I were to read the transcript of my day, I would see where the anger that I was secretly harboring in my heart came pouring out as if it were in a cup that was jostled during a trying moment. As I care for another person in this way, I see more clearly how my life has been stained by the selfish ways of the world. Because just eight months ago, I was a happily married person with plenty of free time. Even when I was busy, I was busy doing things I wanted to do. Or at the very least, I was busy participating in activities around town with my husband. Now, I have an almost second grader, and one of us has to always be home with her. My free time is no longer my own. My chore load has increased. The amount of gratitude I receive has decreased, and on a daily basis, I'm learning exactly how selfish I am, how much I want to live my life for myself and no one else. But God wants us to remain unstained from the world. He does not want us to spend so much time trying to look like our unbelieving neighbors that we take our eyes off of Him.
James doesn't embark on an in-depth discussion of what pure religion looks like. He just gives us two very practical ways to see where we are in our walk with God. How do we care for the people around us? And are we striving to look like the sinful world around us? The sinful world around us frequently casts off widows and orphans. The sinful world around us believes that they can say whatever they want, whenever they want, no matter what. But we are not to look like them. We are ambassadors of Christ. And when we live a life as a doer of the word, our lives look different from the world. You might not be called to bring a stranger into your home and care for them 24-7, but God is calling you to live a pure and undefiled life. The question is, will you obey him? Father, give us the courage to live a life that looks radically different than the unbelievers around us. For this one reason, that we are living for you and not for ourselves. Give us strength every day to control how we use our words, how we interact with the people around us, how we guard our hearts, so that we might bring glory to you. We love you. Amen.